Hello and welcome to this Thanksgiving edition of Nightlight. You know, I'm always telling you all that I don't do messages well that are seasonal. You know, I, I never have been able to do certain subjects on cue because it's that time of year and I'm supposed to do it. But when it comes to this subject, uh, it's not hard to do at all because Thanksgiving, not in reference to the day that the country sets aside that has degenerated down into what we now rightfully call in most circles Turkey Day because it's far more about the turkey than it is about giving thanks to God. But among people who truly know the Lord, uh, Thanksgiving is a great culmination of the Thanksgiving that has been going on all year long. And so it still has great meaning. And it's easy for me to turn my attention to it because more and more uh, in my own private life and in the lives of people that I share with, it is the key, among others, to breaking the power of spiritual strongholds, loosing people from bondages uh, in their imaginations and attitudes and even their relationships and um, moving into a greater and greater place of, of union with Christ and power in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the giving of thanks is an act of declaration to the universe that God is God and nothing else is God but God. That uh, the principalities and powers and rulers of this present evil world uh, are bypassed, ignored, and put in their place every time we exalt the name of the Lord and give him thanks. Now, uh, thanksgiving the giving of thanks, the offering of thanks as a as a, a specific act before God is first mentioned in Scripture in the book of Leviticus, actually. Uh, we won't take the time to go into it in detail, but the whole purpose uh, of it in chapter 7 of Leviticus 11, verse, uh, uh, verse 11 through 15, it says, this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, uh, or cakes blended flour mixed with oil. Beside the cakes, his offering shall uh, be an offering of, of leavened bread, with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. Now, uh, what that really is referring to is the way the prescription was given for the the offerings to be brought, uh, and, and they were then, of course, kept by the priests, the Levitical priests, and they ate those offerings. But the symbolism, the purpose of all these strange uh, prescriptions that that had to be followed so specifically was because God was teaching the heart, core, inner being of the Israeli people who had been slaves and had no symbol and image that pointed them toward the holy or the good or the real. He, he put these things in place and made them very rigid, not because he was trying to be legalistic, 
but because he wanted them to stay inside the perimeters of his prescription so that they would draw a map on the inside of themselves without error pointing toward the invisible reality that the sacrificial system was portraying. So when it talks about uh, a wave offering of thanksgiving or a heave offering, uh, the wave offering goes from side to side. The heave offering goes up and down. What is that? It's a picture of the cross. It is making the sign of the cross. So everything is is everything in some form or other is pointing towards the the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to salvage us from damnation and to restore us to our rightful place and to bring us home to the Father. And so, when we talk about thanksgiving, on the most basic, rudimentary level, you're simply talking about telling God, thank you for whatever it is you're thankful for. Uh, And that's not a bad thing, for heaven's sakes. Uh, In fact, one of the greatest things you can do for yourself is every day of your life begin to look for things specifically to say thank you for. Thank you for clean air. Thank you for sunshine. Thank you for morning. Thank you for bird song. Thank you for green grass. I'll tell you, I started really being thankful for green grass last time I went home to Texas, and they hadn't had rain in almost 18 months. It looked like Mordor. And boy, was I thankful when I heard of they got more rain than they needed, but they got green grass back. You You start doing without green grass for a while, and you'll start finding yourself being extremely grateful for all the foliage and all the greenery and all the the, the healthiness and beauty of that. Uh, You know, God could have made the world in black and white, uh, but he didn't, thankfully. And, you know, you you start beginning to practice the habit of verbally offering a statement of thanksgiving to God for everything. I mean, for every you you begin to understand Paul's exhortation in everything, give thanks. He didn't say for everything, give thanks. I don't give thanks for evil. I don't give thanks for wickedness. Uh, but I do give thanks in the face of evil and wickedness, uh, knowing that that God is holy and good and trustworthy, and He will eventually bring all evil to an end. And put everything right. So I can give thanks always. And, and, and Paul says it over and over. Let me, let me just read you. These are just a few statements. That I, it would take all of our time to read all of them. But uh, just from the, uh, the writings of uh, the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 4.15 For all things are for your sakes. So that grace having spread through all these events may cause thanksgiving to abound more and more to the glory of God. Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 4, 2, continually, uh, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant 
in thanksgiving, being being vigilant with thanksgiving. Uh, Notice he says, be vigilant with thanksgiving. You'll be making a lot of positive progress in your spiritual growth if you start finding yourself looking for ways to offer God thanks. Now, I started off talking about this practice as if it's just a a rudimentary, elementary thing, and and it is. Let me just read you a few more verses here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. Don't let filthiness or foolish talking or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, uh, come out of your mouth, but rather the giving of thanks. Uh, so when I read that verse, I'm thinking, you know, maybe this isn't so rudimentary. Maybe this isn't so elementary. Maybe this is really mature spirituality. Because Paul is saying, you know, uh, people who are thankful are not given over to misusing their mouth. And I've, I've told y'all before in, in previous uh, messages in fact, maybe maybe all the way back to last Thanksgiving, I might have been guilty of, uh, or might have been confessing my guilt in this area. I, I haven't. I have a, a lousy attitude quite often. I, I have a mouth that is just uh, not a pleasure to be around. I don't mean I go around cussing or talking filthy, but uh, you know, you don't have to cuss to be putting uh, refuse out of your mouth. Just a negative, unjoyful, unthankful attitude can create, in many ways, just as bad an atmosphere as somebody who's actually yelling and screaming and using foul language. Um, Ephesians 5.20, Give thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here again, when Paul says give thanks for all things uh, this may be a, a nitpicking point to some people, but all things means all things that come from God, which is all good things. Uh, evil is a negation of good. I don't think Paul's teaching here that you give thanks for cancer, or you give thanks for children being abused, or you, you give thanks for wickedness in high places. Because those those aren't things given by God. They are negations of things. So we give thanks to God for the healing of cancer. We give thanks to God for the powers set in motion to rescue children. We give thanks to God that he is ruler over all nations and he will bring all evil rulers to to their end. You can say what the scripture says. In fact, one of the Greek words for thanksgiving is homologeo, which is to the word that means to say the same thing as. It, it's translated confess in several places. Uh, to say the same thing God says is a form of giving thanks. It's, it's, it's uh, agreeing with God according to his word. And so uh, by coming into agreement with God and offering him uh, agreement, you're offering a form of thanksgiving. Well, just a couple more New Testament verses here, and then we're going to go in a different direction with this. But Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God 
the Father through him. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 And in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The reason it's the will of God is not because of some fuddy-duddy religious idea that God just wants you to close your eyes and hold your nose and play like things are good when they're not. That's not the point. The point is to come into alignment with God, come into agreement with God, so God's kingdom can come into the situation through you and bring about transformation, healing, deliverance, correction, protection, whatever the need is in in the given situation. Uh, This goes on in the cosmic realm in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, verse 9 Uh, wherever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever. Uh, In Revelation 7.12, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Revelation 11.17, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and and reigned. Uh, in all these verses, thanksgiving is is seen not so much as a, as a mere tipping of the hat and saying thank you, God, as a mere uh, courtesy. But thanksgiving has a supernatural power in it of the release of of God's grace through it. So this is why Paul says, in everything give thanks. This is why the New Testament is filled with exhortations toward thanksgiving. This is why Paul says, if you want to overcome a tendency toward filthiness and foolish talking and coarse jesting, which are never fitting, that word there he uses, it means these words don't fit the flow of created order. They are words taken out of the created order and twisted and used and put back in the created order in a a form of a curse. That's the whole idea here. Now think about that. I told you all before, I'm I'm a man of unclean lips dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I grew up in a culture uh, where uh, not just redneck humor, I'm not talking about funny stuff, humorous stuff, but I'm talking about what Paul refers to here is coarse jesting a use of language that is meant, even though it seems funny, it's meant to twist and pervert and deform and create a false image of reality or a perverted misimage of reality. It's it's very close akin to witchcraft. And, uh, you know, when you you say, uh, you know, uh, throw a dam or a hell around, in the common vernacular, the way I grew up hearing it and using it, uh, or calling somebody an SOB or or whatever term you're you're using, you're you're taking the God-given power of language, which makes us like God. I mean, we're the only beings in the universe that have the power of articulate speech that we have. That is like God. Angels, of course, can speak, but they speak only what has been given them to say. We have the power and free will to misuse our God-given authority in our mouth. And therefore, we have so much to answer for for it 
that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 36, uh, let your yes be yes, let your no be no, for whatever goes beyond that is of the evil one. King James Version says is, is of evil, but the Greek is more particular. It, when you talk like that, you're aligning yourself up with the evil one. And so uh, then he goes on to say in verse 36, Therefore, understand that you will give account on the day of judgment for every idle, inoperative, improper word you have spoken. Think about that. I think about that all the time when I realize, you know, in our in our uh, Tate our CD library, there's over 450 hours of me talking. <laughs> God have mercy, uh, Lord, may it be pleasing. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my strength and my redeemer. And so. Uh, this is why the Bible says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. And uh, I've, I've, had to, I've wrestled with that all of my life. And part of that is because of a boiling anger in me that has been growing in me all of my life. And a, a rage against uh, injustice and a rage against misused authority. And uh, that all can, can sound real righteous and godly. But when it comes out, with cussing and anger and, and vengeance and disrespect, there's no way in the world I am really standing against an evil. I am simply manifesting the same evil in another form. So Paul says here in Ephesians 5, uh, the, 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 the ad, antidote to this poison is the giving of thanks and here's, what's, here's what messes us up about this. We think when we read that at face value because of our lack of biblical education that he's simply saying, don't talk ugly, just say thank you and please. And it almost sounds like a kindergarten lesson. And we read that and, and men maybe more than women would say, yeah, it sounds kind of childish. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying when you when you speak evil and you let your mouth be an instrument of evil, you're aligning yourself with the very evil that you may be railing against. And you are therefore fruitless for righteousness and serving the very evil you think you're railing against. And the way to come against that and reverse it is to stand in agreement with God, which is what homo legeo means, and give thanks. Now, giving thanks always to the Hebrew ear doesn't just mean saying nice things, as I've said three times already and don't need to say it again. It comes from the word, the root word for hand, yada. It comes from uh, toda. It means to lift the hands or raise the hands. And so we end up with wonderful songs like we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord and we offer up to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving. We offer up to God the sacrifice of praise. Uh, that's a wonderful song. comes right out of Hebrews chapter 13 
and it's a great song, but I'm bothered by the fact that I don't know how many people understand what it means. Uh, David says in Psalm 141, let the lifting up of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. I told you that from Leviticus 11, the, 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 the offering, the, the, the heave offering and the wave offering, uh, heaving up and down, waving back and forth is what? It's the symbol of the cross. It is the making of the cross. Be careful, Protestants, when you look down your nose at the, uh, the part of the church that makes the sign of the cross. Uh, they're far more biblical in their making of the sign of the cross than you are in your criticism of it. Uh, same thing with the blood on the doorpost and on the, the two sides of, of the door. It's the sign of the cross. All this has to do, we give thanks to God, we lift up our hands, we raise our hands. What are we saying when we lift up our hands? We're saying several things all at one time. The first thing we're saying is that we are honoring God as absolute sovereign Lord and creator of the universe and that all the good that we partake of in our food, in our uh, uh, sustenance, our material existence, every blessed good thing, every cool breeze that blows on our face in a hot day, every drink of cool water, every bite of food, it comes because God is the creator. See, uh, the attack on God as creator is the beginning of the downfall fall of a civilization. Once you refuse to honor him as creator, then you, it just catapults itself into more and more and more degeneration. That's why Romans chapter 1 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 both refer to the end of the age as a time when men and women will be uh, lovers of their own self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, un parents, unthankful, unholy. Unthankful and unholy go right together. If you're unthankful because there's no God that you have to answer to anyway, then you become in every way unholy. And so Romans 1 says, even though they knew God in their conscience, they knew God, but refused to acknowledge him as God. Neither were they thankful. See, Paul is saying this from a Hebraic point of view. He's not saying they, they refused God and they didn't tell him thank you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying they refused to acknowledge God and therefore refused to align themselves in agreement with him and offer to him the praise do his name and the word praise in Hebrew has to do with not just saying God you're wonderful it has to do with offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice which Paul refers to again in Romans 12 when I raise my hands as many many people do now in various worship services across the, the world and that's a good thing but I, I just hope they understand I hope somebody's teaching them what they're doing let the lifting up of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. We bring the sacrifice of praise. What is the sacrifice? The fruit of our lips. What else, what else is the sacrifice? Our bodies, Paul says in Romans 12. So we offer to him our bodies. Well, what does Romans 1 say? 
They refuse to honor God as God. They refuse to align themselves with him. And therefore, what do they do? They offer each other's bodies to each other and worship the creature instead of the creator. And then begins the degeneration, the, 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 uh, the corruption that goes from, instead of from glory to glory, it goes from debasement to debasement. Uh, first, uh, they worshiped the creature. Uh, uh, then they worship uh, four-footed things. Then they worship insects. And, uh, you know, it just goes lower and lower and lower. And, uh, of course, just as worship manifests the fruit of its true nature in us more and more, worship uh, of the creature manifests its degeneration in us more and more. So we end up becoming unhuman. And all that that horrible list that you see in Romans one that Paul also repeats in Second Thessalonians or Second uh, Timothy chapter three uh, is the result. Now, the uh, the Thanksgiving services that I attended as a boy. I, my boyhood had a lot of deprivations in it and a lot of evil stuff in it but whenever there was anything good it was so rare and so precious that it stuck in my memory to this day and uh, anything anything that pointed me toward the holy and the real and the good just twinkled like a star in the pitch black darkness for me and that's why I guess uh, when, when I was a boy, uh, we'd have these uh, community Thanksgiving services. We didn't have many. I don't remember very many. But for three or four years in a row, it seemed like, there were, uh, there were services that, you know, everybody was either Baptist, Methodist, or Presbyterian. There, we didn't have anybody else. You know, the Pentecostals were over on the other side of the track. And the Catholics were down in, in uh, you know, Baton Rouge and, and New Orleans. So, uh, but the Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterians would have joint Thanksgiving services when I was a boy. And I, most of you know my story. You know the, the sexual abuse and the sexual depravity of, of my childhood and teenage years. And so, you know, when it's very dark... Uh, one little candle just shines so bright. And I look back in the years of my uh, early teenage life, and I remember these joint Thanksgiving services where the Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterians would all get together. That means really the whole white part of town, sadly. The black people lived on the other side of the track where the Pentecostals were, so they they weren't allowed to come. But... Uh, even in that foolish uh, mistreatment of people that we considered beneath us, there was still, I guess, enough of the true honor of God demonstrated in those services that the light of the Holy Spirit was able to shine through it. And I, I was thinking about that when I was reviewing some of these verses on Thanksgiving that I wanted to talk about today with us 
it never occurred to me. I don't know why. It's kind of obvious. It's not a great revelation. Anybody could see it if they read. But how many, many verses in the Bible equate thanksgiving with singing and music? And here again, you know, the enemy knows that. And so he hijacks music and uses it to seduce and and uh, pervert and bring the worship of the creature instead of the creator by the misuse of music. But music in its proper setting is directly, directly related to the offering of thanks and the offering of ourselves to God. And so, I mean, listen to some of these verses. These are just a few. I couldn't list all of them. Um, Psalm 26, verse 7. I proclaim with my voice thanksgiving to you and tell of all your wondrous works. Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Psalm 69, verse 30. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And you understand in in Hebrew, uh, statements like that are usually uh, poetic statements. The first statement is a way of saying the same thing you're saying in the second statement. So praising God with a song is magnifying him with thanksgiving. Psalm 95 verse 2, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with songs. Psalm 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Psalm 107, verse 22, let the sacrifice uh, of, let, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with singing or dancing or rejoicing. Psalm 116, verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 147, verse 7, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God. Uh, Psalm 18, verse 49, Therefore I will give thanks to you, O God. Among the Gentiles I will sing praises to your name. Psalm 30, verse 4, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Psalm 30, verse 12, to, to this end, may my glory sing praises to you and not be silent, O Lord my God. I will give thanks to you forever. That's just a very, very few, but we're talking here about a spiritual weapon. I've, uh, we talked about this several months ago. Remember, we spoke from Psalm 8. Uh, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who sets your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have ordained strength. Jesus refers to it in Matthew 12. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have perfected praise in order that you might still the enemy and the avenger. So uh, the giving of thanks is one of the, it, it, it may not be one of, it may be the greatest means of declaring and establishing God's authority and holiness and personhood in the earth through the mouth of his people. Uh, I think maybe the reason you could say that, that it is first uh, over all other weapons, is because 
not only is it listed so often in Scripture, uh, over and over and over we're told these things, but look how often the enemy seeks to deny you the power of its use. I mean, the, we think spiritual warfare is, you know, lightning flashes and cosmic thunder booms. What if it's just that little voice in the morning that tells you to say, oh God, it's morning, instead of, thank you, Lord, for a new day? You know, it wasn't too many years ago that uh, I was, along with a lot of other people, wrestling with attitudes in the church that treated those who needed psychiatric help and even medication. Uh, you know, fighting through the battle of helping people embrace the fact that brain chemistry can need medical help and there's no shame in it. And that's true. But we are, right now, the most, we're 5% of the population of the planet, United States population, 5% of the planet, and we, we use 90% of all the psychotropic medicine sold in the world. 90%. Um, there's a balance, obviously, and uh, I'm more and more aware that people are mentally ill because they are unthankful, ungrateful, and they do not express to God out loud, which always in Scripture, there's no, there's no such thing as gratitude or thanksgiving that's not verbalized, sung, or manifested in some physical act like lifting of hands or dancing. Praise, worship, thanksgiving are all related, but thanksgiving is a specific. And and we've already talked about what, what that is. Start getting it into your thinking that the offering of thanks to God is not just a uh, good manners. It is a declaration of his creative power as the creator of his loving provision as Father, and of his redeeming sacrifice for us in the cross to bring us back to himself and deliver us from the powers of darkness. All of that is happening when you offer thanks. That's what you're saying when you raise your hands. That's what you're saying when you say, Father, thank you for this meal. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you for the green grass, whatever it is. That that statement, simplistic as it may seem, rattles things in the spirit world of darkness and uh, brings kingdom power into play. But I, I want to get back to something I mentioned a few minutes ago, and I didn't follow through with it. When I was a boy in the darkness of the childhood that I grew up in, th that bright spot that shone so brightly in my uh, early teenage years of those Thanksgiving services... I remember one in particular where, uh, you know, every year all the Baptist, Methodists, and Presbyterians met at the Baptist church, then the next year at the Methodist church, then the next year at the Presbyterian church. But the thing I remember about all of them was the music. And in the music, some of the, the lyrics that got through to me in a way that nothing else at the time could have. And I, I want to read to you, some of you will know this hymn, many of you won't, because it's not, it's not a very popular one to sing. 
and when when I read the lyrics, you'll you'll understand why it's it's uh, fell, fallen out of favor with a a generation that uh, doesn't any longer properly respond to the gospel the way it really is. Uh, come, ye thankful people, come was the the hymn. I remember every word of it. It's like I, it was burned into my memory. Uh, and had a great effect in leading me out of the darkness and bringing me to where uh, I met the Lord fully and uh, gave myself to him completely. But listen to these lyrics. Come, ye thankful people, come. Raise the song of harvest home. All is safely gathered in ere the winter storms begin. God, our maker, does provide for our wants to be supplied. Come to God's own temple. Come, raise the song of harvest home. We ourselves are God's own field, fruit unto his praise to yield, wheat and tares together sown, unto joy or sorrows grown. First the blade and then the ear, then the full corn shall appear. Lord of harvest, grant that we Wholesome grain and pure may be. For the Lord our God shall come and shall take his harvest home. From his field shall purge away all that doth offend that day. Give his angels charge at last in the fire the tares to cast. But the fear, uh, fruitful ears to store in his garner evermore. Even so, Lord, quickly come. Bring thy final harvest home. Gather thou thy people in, free from sorrow, free from sin. There forever purified, in thy presence to abide. Come with all thy angels, come. Raise the glorious harvest home. Uh, when you have a church system, as we've now developed in, in the, the West, where the preaching of the cross is suspect and the need for repentance from sin is ignored and even replaced with uh, therapeutic concepts. And any mention of uh, spiritual mixture of the wheat and the tares growing together and then the, the tares being cast into the fire at the harvest, uh, you never hear sermons on that. You never hear sermons on uh, eternal judgment. In fact, it's become now very popular to uh, say there is no hell. That's all a misunderstanding. And certainly, uh, you've heard me say that there are terrible misunderstandings about hell, but that does not make a place to deny the fact of coming judgment. And uh, the nature of that judgment may be s subject to various points of view but the existence of that judgment uh, is irrefutable if you believe the, the word of God in in the atmosphere of, of thanksgiving uh, and praise to God for for the uh, the culture that we had at the time that hymn which manifests everything I've been trying to communicate these past few minutes of what Thanksgiving really is. 
The Holy Spirit used those lyrics to get through to me uh, so that from that day forward, I was maybe, what, 13, 14 years old. I was in the grip of the worst times of my woundedness and confusion. But the Holy Spirit uh, got those lyrics through to me. And uh, the concept uh, that Thanksgiving is not just a once-a-year thing we do and have turkey and all that, I, I, I gave that up even before it took root in me. Thanksgiving to me was a time of celebration of giving thanks to God for the harvest, but I always saw the harvest in reference to the harvest at the end of the age. And all these scriptures just came alive to me in the singing of that song. And I remember leaving the building that night. We'd met at the Methodist church that particular year. And I remember leaving that night and thinking about the great cosmic picture that that song had painted in my mind. I don't remember anything else in that service uh, except a couple of friends of mine throwing spitballs at me from behind, which I ignored because the song was focusing on me uh, things of an eternal nature that were changing my destiny. And uh, in that spirit of true thanksgiving, God as creator, God as provider, God as redeemer, God is judge. Those four principles that came through that song. God is redeemer. Excuse me. God is creator. God is provider. God is redeemer. God is judge. A.W. Tozer said the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. And that's the most important thing about you. What you believe about God. And when you lose the awareness of his absolute authority as creator, his absolute uh, uh, worthiness of gratitude as provider, his utter eternal uh, uh, adoration that is due him as redeemer, and his unmovable, unchangeable, unshakable uh, position as judge of all the universe before whom all creation will have to give account. If you lose any one of those, you are falling into a dangerous place. And uh, uh, yes, the love of God is a vital, vital, obviously of vital importance. Of course, the love of God is what motivates him in all those manifest manifestations, including judge. If God is not judge, he's not loving. I mean, what, who wants a, a God who doesn't judge and, and hate evil and bring it to justice? You can't love such a God as that. Uh, so all of those principles begin to come home to me in the context of the worship and the praise and the singing, even though it was if in the context of its day, it was probably boring, piano out of tune, uh, squeaky voices, most of the congregation not even really singing. Uh, Holy Spirit didn't care. He, he still got through to me with all those principles. The wheat and the tares. I saw uh, right there in that congregation, I said, you know, there's some of us in this room that are tares. Some are wheat. One day, it's all going to be made manifest for what it really is. <clears throat> and the wheat and the tares are going to be separated from one another. And the tares are going to be cast into the furnace. <clears throat> and this is all Matthew 13. Uh, 
the harvest is the end of the age, as I spoke about a couple of months ago. And uh, so Thanksgiving for me in that service became, in many ways, a Gentile Christian version of the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which parallels Thanksgiving only in its proximity to the harvest time, but Tabernacles is uh, begins with the Day of Atonement, which deals with the the, the 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 horror of our sin, the price of shed blood that has to cover our sin, and then begins the Feast of Tabernacles with the focus on the eternal instead of the temporal. And so, in the Tabernacles that the, all the families of Israel would would build they would gather in their little homemade tabernacles and there was a hole in the roof of the tabernacle. The purpose of the building of the tabernacle was to underscore the temporary nature of earthly life in the face of the world to come. It wasn't a heaven versus earth thing. Don't misunderstand it. You know, we Gentiles, we've made total focus on flying away from the earth and going off to a some other place called heaven. And that's not the mindset of, of Jewish theology, which is the mother of our theology, should be. <clears throat> but the idea is that the earthly life, as we know it now, is temporal. And the, the age to come, uh, all these temporal things will be subsumed in the eternal. And so uh, everything you do here matters there. Whereas in our more Greek thinking, our more pagan thinking, we're just going to you know, cut away from the earth and fly away to heaven and leave everything behind, you know, goodbye world, goodbye, and all the old songs you hear about it. And I don't mean to make light of it, but they're just not, they're not fully scriptural. Uh, the, the Hebrew understanding is we build a tabernacle here and we live here and God is coming back here to the earth and he will restore the heavens and the earth and he will restore righteousness and the earth will uh, be put back to its proper uh, cast and uh, evil will be judged and destroyed and righteousness will reign forever and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so the hole in the tabernacle was to point to the heavens and to point to the eternal. And the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles, among other things, was to help people think about and really, really focus on their temporal life, their eternal destiny, the judgment of God, uh, which uh, is, is mitigated from its wrathful side by the atonement and the uh, ramifications of all that in your daily behavior. So the best we come up with is Turkey Day. So we make a, a tabernacle in our Gentile way of practicing and we uh, celebrate a turkey and we, we, we make it all about the temporal. And yet in the midst of this <clears throat> Gentile 
aberration, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and gets through to me through the lyrics of that hymn. So uh, I'm hoping that in this time together, if you don't get anything else out of this, you will grasp the reality of what Thanksgiving really means, the power in it, the supernatural nature of it, the purpose of it, what it actually says, what it actually focuses on. And then you will take it a step farther and and turn your Thanksgiving celebration, whatever form it takes, into as much as possible a sort of a recovery of the Feast of Tabernacles. That in your gathering around the table, you you honor the temporal. You you are thankful for the temporal, but somehow in the offering of thanksgiving to God over the turkey, over the food, over the meal, over the family, as you hold one another's hands, as you feel the precious, unreplaceable treasure of of the hand you're holding, whether it's wife or child or husband or friend, that. As you invoke the presence of the Lord over the table, as you ask for God's presence to be given honor and, and you give thanksgiving to him, that that would be your tabernacle. That would be the hole in the roof of your tabernacle. If you could see your table as your tabernacle and the, the Holy Spirit hovering above the table as the hole in your Feast of Tabernacles booth. Uh, and you would begin to consider that what Thanksgiving is about is ultimately about those things we've already stated, and I'll state them again. God is creator. Romans 1 says that the end of the age, at the end of the, the Roman Empire, what brought the Roman Empire to an end was their f- total failure to honor God as God, and then the next step from that is to refuse to be thankful. See, evolution has removed God as God in the minds of many people, even believers, so-called believers. They don't really know what they believe about any of it and haven't thought it through and haven't bothered to pursue it. But, but the subtle displacement of God as creator, even if it's only in a corner of their imagination, has also automatically dip, displaced them from being thankful. Then another thing that we're up against in uh, line with Romans 1 and 2 Timothy 3 is that because we are so abundantly provided for in our materialism, we think in terms of what we don't have instead of what we do. You would think that would be just the opposite, that we would think with great gratitude for all that we've been given. But no, that's not what happens in in human nature. The person who has barely enough food is so grateful for every bite. You never hear him complain about this or that being not to his taste. The person who has just enough to get by with is so grateful for any gift anybody gives them. But in the coming travesty that we call Christmas that used to be the celebration of the incarnation. I'll talk more about that next month, Lord willing. But uh, in that in that milieu of celebration of materialism, how many things end up stacked up in a corner and ignored or even taken back to the store? 
where we complain about what we didn't get all this stuff our family stopped doing that years ago i mean we we i don't even we don't even participate in that sham uh counterfeit caricature perversion um, but the point is it's a people who are overflowing with abundance that ends up fighting and losing the battle of ingratitude and it's those who seem to have so little that are happy and grateful and childlike and enjoy everything because they appreciate everything. And so this is not a small thing. It may be the most important struggle in our lives as a culture. It may be the most important struggle you have in your family. Uh, I'm addressing my grandchildren as often as uh, circumstances allow. I don't want it to be onerous and uh, nagging, but every time the subject comes up, you know, some new electronic thing coming out or some new thing that uh, everybody wants. And that's uh, just a good teachable moment, not to preach and not to nag and not to yell, but to just in love and truth say, you know, do you, even, do you even appreciate what you already have? And have you asked the Lord what he wants you to have? Or is this just something that your flesh wants? So the spirit of the age ends up feeding uh, the spirit of greed in us and uh, becomes our great enemy. Well, I know you know this stuff. I, you know, I feel bad sometimes saying this kind of stuff. I, I don't want to insult your intelligence. But I know me. Uh, I study and study and study these things. I speak on these things, and yet I'm just as guilty. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not attracted to the electronics boom, but I'll buy the next six volumes of a study series uh, of books that maybe I've already got another version of. Uh, I'm. You know, I've got my own version of. Uh, seductive material oh it's all biblical and that makes it even more seductive then uh, finally in the minutes we have left uh, this would be a study in itself all its own but I only have time to just mention it and put it in your thinking one of the characteristics of the Feast of Tabernacles which I hope we, we can learn to transfer over to our Thanksgiving celebrations in some way find some way to do it. And that is that uh, the Hebrew word sukkah, which is the, the reference to the booths or the tabernacles. Sukkah came to also mean uh, that which is temporary or that which is temporal, that which is not eternal, that which will pass away if left to itself. And uh, Paul is referring to all these things on several occasions when he talks about, for instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5, uh, if this earthly house is dissolved, we have a, temp we have a, a tabernacle in the heavens. Uh, and then he talks about how we long for our earthly tabernacle to be clothed about with the eternal tabernacle. Uh, if the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day, while we look not at the things which are temporal, but the things which are eternal. For the things which are temporal 
are temporary. The things which are visible are temporary. The things which are invisible are eternal. He's making reference to this whole principle of tabernacles. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he talks about the body in reference to sowing, reaping, wheat and tares, harvest, and the fruit of the earth, where he says our earthly body, our natural body, is sown in weakness, but it will be raised in power. Sown in weakness, the temporal, raised in power, the eternal. Sown in weakness in the present age, raised in power in the world to come at the return of the Lord Jesus and the resurrection of us all. All of this is is combined and part of this whole image and picture that was so poetically well presented in the lyrics of that old hymn. It all got downloaded inside of me uh, that night, and the Holy Spirit's been unpacking it in me ever since. But I want to try to put it in your thinking in, in the closing minutes that we have here. In your in your celebration of Thanksgiving, whether you do it in the November Thanksgiving that we all celebrate or whether you find other ways to incorporate it into your family life, if you could, and, and I, think, I think Thanksgiving is a great time to do it because it's already a time of celebration. It's a time when image and symbol can be introduced that maybe has not been a part of your former tradition. But if you could just find a way to present these principles in your family celebrations around the table, even if it's nothing but uh, reading the scripture that I just quoted from Second Corinthians chapters five and, and four, five and six, and First Corinthians chapter fifteen, and then uh, all of the scriptures concerning the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, begin to introduce these things to your children. Talk about the temporariness of the table as you're holding hands around the table. Uh, how, the, as wonderful as it is, and as as much as we love and appreciate the the goodness of this moment, uh, you know, Bill Gaither's song comes to my mind. We have this moment to hold in our hand and to touch, as it sifts through our fingers like sand. Yesterday's gone, and tomorrow will never come. But we have this moment together. It's in these temporal moments when you have the opportunity to point to the eternal. And uh, somehow, in I guess what I'm, I'm begging us to, to not do is the, the, the tragic practice of, Lord, we thank you for each other. We thank you for this food. We thank you for uh, the family around the table. We thank you for the turkey. Bless Bless this food, in Jesus' name, Amen. You know, even that can become such a tawdry uh, shadow of the reality that I'm trying to describe, and and supplant the reality with this kind of pseudo spiritual, semi Christian practice. That the, all the meaning, all the potential meaning, is taken away. Uh, but if you could just, you know, find a way to celebrate the people around the table celebrate the closeness and love and care celebrate and give thanks for the food and the temporal nature of all those earthly blessings and then bring in the fact that this is all pointing to something that will not pass away something that will not fade away uh, the day when the hands we're holding will 
be no longer sown in weakness, but they will be raised in power. No longer will they be subject to death, but they will be raised beyond death, immortal forever, uh, because of Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection. Uh, this is the fulfillment. This is the great fulfillment of tabernacles. Now, one more thing I want to say about tabernacles, and this would imply uh, a need to go into a full study on it, something you may be able to pursue on your own. But please understand that the Feast of Passover was literally fulfilled in the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Pentecost also was specifically, literally fulfilled in time and space as a fulfillment of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Same principle, therefore, can be expected to hold true for the fall feasts as related to the end-time harvest and uh, all the symbolism of the feasts will be fulfilled in the same way. And so... Um, maybe we can approach that subject someday in the future, but thank you for listening. Our time has come to a close. Uh, God bless you, and we'll talk to you, Lord willing, next time.